guess you can see the title up here. I don't. In case some of you, some of you young ones probably don't know the title or this song. This is, I think, Kelly's well in wedding vows when she told Mark, "Are you so vain that you think this song is about you?" So anyway, <laughs> there you go, girl. Work with me a little bit. So anyways, I know a lot of you would would uh, remember that song, and I don't know, I forgot who sang it. Carly Simon, okay, there you go, so see, that shows your age, not mine, there you go, I don't even know Carly Simon, and I know, it's still Shabbat, I can't tell stories yet, that's right, but anyway, are you so vain that you think that this word is written only for you? We could look at it like that from the scripture, so what we want to do today is, is naturally, uh, if you would, let's go to uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. <clears throat> I'm going to read the scripture, and then we're going to back up, and then we're going to just really answer this question, working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I do know, and I just want to say this, for us, this usually in the Western Christianity way of thought is really and truly the way I was raised, the way most of us is raised, it's about me and Jesus, and we have our own thing going. It's pretty much that it is a, per, it, now look, guys, it is a personal relationship. That is first and foremost. It is a personal relationship. But yet, if you notice in the Scripture, it's not just about you individually. It's about you individually. In the Scriptures, you're going to see that is the word you singular or is the word you plural? Okay, and the thing is, is most of the time in the word, the word you is plural. And that's what we want to look at because it's, it's where we have to realize we have responsibility to one another. We are our brother's keeper. If we have a mindset that it's just about me and what I can do in my personal relationship and what's going on in my life, then what happens is, is I bear no fruit and I can't affect my neighbor. And that's not what this is about. Do you think that Moses was a pretty important character in the Scriptures? Absolutely, Moses is one of the most important characters in the Scripture. Did Moses go to the promised land? No. Why? Because he disobeyed. He struck the rock when Yahweh asked him to speak to the rock. Now, here's the reason of the prophecy about the rock. The first time he was asked to strike the rock. Now, who is the rock? The rock is Yeshua. The second time, he was asked to speak to the rock, but he struck the rock. Well, what he did was, is he messed up prophecy by doing that. Because the first time Yeshua came, he was stricken. He was struck. The second time he's coming, he's not going to be stricken. Amen? And so what I'm saying is, is so Moses, as important as he was in Scripture, because of disobedience, and he was disobedient in, in front of who? All the congregation of Israel... He showed that it's not just about you, Moses. It's about all the people. There's a calling that different ones of us, we have. We operate in these callings. But guys, we're no better than the next person. It's taking all of us working together that makes the body of Messiah. Remember we talk about the hand? Get rid of the thumb and see how well you can grip. Even though he's a little short and dumpy, and he ain't like all the slender guys that work out, and he doesn't look like these, but yet he is, without it, throw a ball to somebody when you take, you can't catch. You can trap, you can improvise. Sometimes we're just odd. 
But you know what? Yahweh created us to be a certain way because we have a, you know, a, a certain purpose in this life. So you know what? Accept it and enjoy it and be the thumb if he's called us to be the thumb. Amen? That's just the way it would work. Okay, I just want to read the scripture first and then we're going to end up going everywhere. Okay. It says, uh, verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, now, I'm just telling you right here by that statement, as you have always obeyed, he's talking to believers here. He's not, he's not talking to lost people. He's talking to people that have a relationship with Yeshua. So now, not only as in my presence, but also more in my absence, absence it says what? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So this is where we want to take this first because we have heard this over and over, let's go to Numbers chapter 15. I'm going to use that as an analogy and as an example. Guys, usually when you hear somebody say, I'm going to work out my own salvation, why do they usually pull that card out of their pocket? They're justifying what they're doing that's not scriptural or not right. Because here's the thing when Yahweh says, that we are to do something, in other words, thou shalt not murder. Is that a suggestion or is that a commandment? It's a commandment. It's non-optional. So you can't just get mad at somebody and say, you know what? They hurt my feelings, and I'm not going to fill out an accident report. I am going to kill them. And then somebody ministers to him and says, you can't kill them, premeditated murder is sin. And then that person says, well, I'm going to have to pray about it and see if it's sin. You don't pray about if a commandment tells you thou shalt not. You can't pray. And that's why I brought up Moses. Did Moses beg to go into the promised land? You bet he did. But yet the father says, no, quit whining. You're not going. And that's, your, that's the language that he used. So usually when we hear somebody say, well, I need to work out my own salvation, usually they're sinning, they're doing wrong, and they want you to leave them alone. That's usually when they pull this card, okay? So what I need to do is, is we need to know that the context, and that's what we've been teaching in these Wednesday night uh, defenders of our faith class, is keeping everything in context and not just pulling one scripture and creating another whole message, okay? So I picked one that was easy to all of us because most of us wear tassels, okay? And it, verse 37, we'll start there, and it says, Yahweh said to Moses, speak to who? The people or the children of Israel and tell who? Them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, not only just for them at that moment, but also for all the generations that come behind them. And to put a cord of blue on the tassel on each corner. And he says, and, you, and it shall be a tassel for who? For you. Now, I just want to share this. If you look this up, I am not a linguistics, or I can't even say the word. I, I can, I'm a twistics, but I'm not a lean, well, how do you say that? I'm, not in, I'm just not a language person, okay? And, and I went through this, and I was, man, I was like, all of these prepositions and then all of this... Uh, Oh, it was all kind of stuff I was getting into, and I was way over my head with it. I had, to, I had the dictionary out, and I was going through all of this about if this goes before preposition, if the noun is before preposition, it means this. 
If the verb is for preposition, it means that. And I was drowning in prepositions. And uh, so anyway, so you can just look it up, and if you want to, just get after it. But what I did, I did do, because uh, Brad Scott helped me years ago with this, about this, about the word you. And the you here is plural. The you here is not singular, but it's plural. He's talking because Yahweh is talking to a people. He's talking to them. He's talking to their. And then he says, make a tassel for you. And that word is plural in the context to look at and remember all the commandments of Yahweh to do them and not to follow what? After what? Your own heart and after your own eyes. Which you are inclined to whore, to whore after. So he's telling them, not just you as an individual, he's talking about you, Israel. Because what you have is, is you have a tendency to do what's right in your own eyes. Remember we talked a couple of weeks ago about that. We're not to do what's right in our own eyes. We're to follow this book. Because every time we start following what's right in our own eyes, we start following the lust of the flesh, and it pulls us away from the very presence and the very commandments that the follower wants us to follow. Because he knows better than we do. He knows our, our shortcomings and our pitfalls. He knows how the enemy, how Hasatan, how Satan can come in and lure you away. That's when it, when it says flee from temptation, Flee from temptation don't mean walk parallel to temptation. If you walk parallel to sin, it will pull you in. Flee means to walk 180 degrees and create distance between you and whatever that is, whatever that vice or that addiction or whatever happens. So we see here that he's, he's saying that when you're to make tassels, it's for you. And he says that you would not follow after your own heart and your own eyes. So, guys, this is what the tassels are for. But guess what? If you don't follow, if you're going to follow, if, you, if I wear these tassels, okay, but if I'm following after my own heart and my own eyes, these are just threads. They have no meaning. The meaning is, is that when we look at this, he gave them something to look at. He gave them something to observe, to prick them and to remind them don't go the way of the heathen. Don't serve like they serve these other gods, like when they were in Egypt and also as you're getting ready to go into the promised land. Because everybody has their opinion about how to worship and worship creation. So then in verse 40, he says, And you shall remember and do all the commandments. How many commandments did he say that they were to do? All of them. Because all of them are there for a reason. And it says, And to be holy... To your Elohim. Well, your Elohim who brought you. Did he bring just one person? Did he bring just Moses out of Egypt? He brought them all out of Egypt. So this you is a lot of people. He brought, not only did he bring Israel, he brought a mixed multitude who grafted themselves into Israel. He brought the sojourners out too who wanted to be connected to Israel's Elohim, their God. So he says that I brought you out of the land of Egypt. To be your Elohim, I am Yahweh, your Elohim. All right, now let's go back to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 17. I mean, I'm sorry, 27. Because here again, as we know here, Paul wrote a letter. In writing the letter, he did not write the letter in chapters and verses. This is something that 
our theologians did later. They put things down, and it does make it easier for us to be able to stop and look. But what has also happened with this, though, people stop and they pull sections out. I mean, if you wrote a letter to someone, you wouldn't just pull something out of a letter if you started it in like Philippians 1 and you went all the way to chapter 4 or 5. You know what I'm saying? You wouldn't just stop and pull something out. What's in the middle is important because what was said before led, led you to the middle. And then what's going on in the middle will lead you to the end. And it all means something. It's just you just can't just pull one or two things out. That's what we do, and that's what's happened with, with the way we study a lot of times. And I'm just going to say this, because I say this a lot when I meddle a little bit. What we can't do, there's two things. Number one, we are not to use Scripture to whip somebody with, because that wasn't what the Scripture was for. The Scripture is there to convict. The thing is, we're already condemned. Yeshua said that. But it's there to convict. And then after we accept and repent, then the Scripture is there to teach us. Because you said it, the Torah is life. The Torah is love. The Torah is, is, what did it say? In Psalms, David said what? The Word is what? A lamp. A lamp into my feet and a what? A light into my path. That's what this book is. This book is not a cubine. That's why faith is involved in this book. A lamp only lights up what's ahead of you. It doesn't light up what's down the road. And that's the scary part. Because most of us want to know what's going down, down the road. What's hanging from the trees. What's going on in our life further that we don't know. So we don't have to worry. Are we in the days and the end times? I believe that. But... The thing is, is we have to live what's going on today. You worry about what's going on down on the very end, I promise you, you'll get derailed because you're going to misunderstand something every day that we have to walk. And that's what this, this journey's about. And I tie this in because we're going through from Passover to Shavuot, and we're talking about a journey. And this is part of our journey because this is about all of us working together as we travel in this life that we have on this earth. Okay? And it's our attitude and what we do for one another. Okay, in verse 27, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Messiah. So he's saying here, only let your manner of life be, in other words, we're to be a witness. We're to be a witness, and we're to be a witness of him, not ourselves. Because it says, of the gospel of Messiah. So that whether I come and see you are in an absence, or in an absence, I may hear you, and that you are standing firm in one spirit and in one mind, striving what? Together or side by side for the faith of the gospel. So right here in verse 27, you see he says, I'm talking to your, I'm talking to you, that I hear that you, this word you hear is plural, just like in Numbers. Because he's talking to the church at Philippi. He's talking to everybody. He didn't write this letter. This, it didn't say to the letter of Timothy here. He said this is to the church or to the congregation at Philippi. So this is for who? Every one of them who's there. And for everyone who hears this letter afterwards, it gets passed around. We have a letter to Timothy. We have two of them. We have one to Titus. 
Now, here's the thing. When you read these letters, understand he's not writ, he didn't write them to a congregation. He wrote them to an individual. Can we pull from them? Absolutely, we can. But we have to understand, and I've said this before, when you read the epistles that he's written to congregation, he don't call names. But when he wrote the letters to Titus and uh, Timothy, he called names because these were personal to them to how to function, how to use the gifts of the Spirit, how to use your elders and your deacons and what they're supposed to do, how to choose them. So you see that in these letters and here that he is writing to a people because he's telling us now, and this is so important, verse 27. He's saying that you would stand firm in one spirit, in one mind, that's a cod, striving side by side or together for the faith of the gospel. This is what working out our own salvation is really talking about, is all of us being able to walk side by side on this journey. Okay? Just keep that in mind. And it says, and not frightening, verse 28, in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from Elohim. For it has been granted to you, he's talking to the people, for the sake of Messiah, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his namesake. Who should also suffer for his namesake? The body of Messiah, because this is who he's addressing. He's, he's telling them what's going to happen. Engage in the same conflict that you saw that I and now hear that I still have. All right, chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Messiah and any comfort of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affliction, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Now he's going again. He's telling you of the same mind and having the same love and being full or being in one accord and of one mind. So can you see here how he's talking about unity? He's prefacing everything about you we need to function as a body. Now, let me just say this. I know 100% we have opinions. Amen. I have opinions. My wife has opinions. And sometimes they don't see eye to eye or they don't agree. Amen. And then I think one time she says, uh, how did you used to say it? Your dad used to say it. If I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Okay, so it's one of these deals. So anyway, so we have that. We understand that. We also understand that we are now coming into our Hebrew roots. We're coming into a different way of looking at Scripture than when we were raised. I was raised Baptist. Uh, she was raised heathen. And then she was Assembly of God. And, you know, some were raised Catholic. And uh, I think, as Roy would say, he's a recovering Catholic. So, you know, we, a lot of us has come from different walks of life, Episcopalian and you name it. And so we have that. Uh, about us and we have that as we walk so we have opinions and we bring that the way we our life is lived and that's fine some of us we've lived in the south some people this in this congregation has been as far as Minnesota and they moved here from the north there's just a different way of thinking but to be of one mind and one accord that's why he said thinks think on things above not on the things of the earth 
Because if we will think on things above, this will pull us in a cod in unity of one mind and one spirit. If we think that because of where we're born and because that we're better than somebody else, that's going to cause disunity. It's going to cause division because of that. And we have to learn to let that go and get into this word and let this define who we are. If we can let this define who we are, life is going to be a lot easier. And we can learn to accept and walk hand in hand, side by side with one another. Because this is what he's talking about. <clears throat> I just want to say it like this. In the scriptures mainly, in the New Testament, you're really talking about Jew and who? Gentile. That's right. Jews and Greeks. Jews, Greeks, and Romans. What did the Romans do? What were the Romans doing? I mean, look, you're talking about a ruthless people. Do you know that, I've said this before, do you know how they would light the streets in Rome? People. Set them up on a pole, tar them, and set them on fire. That's how they lit their streets. And you know what? That candle goes out. They just somebody else. These are prisoners. These are slaves. These are, these are people. If you wasn't a Roman citizen, you were just not even considered human. And that's what these people would do. You're talking ruthless. Now, we have somebody in Peter, remember in Acts 10, because there was Cornelius who was a Roman, not just a Roman citizen. What was, what was Cornelius? A centurion. He was a military man who was over at least a hundred, if not more, soldiers. And yet, Peter, in a dream, and we know we tell the story, the reason why, now look, an angel could have went and told Cornelius because an angel went to Cornelius and an angel went to Peter in a dream and told him, you need to go down here and find a man named Cornelius. But remember what we talked about, it's not that he was just working on Cornelius. The biggest person that he needed to work on was who? Peter, because Peter was taught by the rabbi that he was under Shammai, because there's two houses, Shammai and Hillel, and Shammai, they taught them, you don't even eat with a Gentile. You, don't, you can't even sit down with it. You can't do it. I mean, it was, so now we have Gentiles, Romans, Greeks, and who have thought it, is now coming to faith in Yeshua, and now how do we, how do I sit down with this individual? What am I to do when, in, when my teachings is always being not to sit down with them, to alienate ourselves from them because we are the people of the word and these are unclean people. That's what they were really taught. So you can see the mindset here, and this mindset is here when Paul is now writing this letter that these people, you're going to have to understand that these Gentiles who's come into faith of Yeshua you're now going to have to sit down and eat with them, walk with them, and think. And that you're going to have to be of the same mind, the same spirit. And that wasn't working well. But this is why he was saying that we have to work out our own salvation. But we forget this word, what? Fear and trembling. Because he's going to tell them that don't forget the fear and trembling part. Because you don't want the judgments coming upon you if you're starting to lead what my message is to the gospel and lead these people astray what happened to Peter Peter's sitting there in the, in Galatia Peter's sitting down there and he's having a great time he's witnessing to these Gentiles 
He's sitting down at their table. Now understand, he's not eating pork. He's not eating unclean. They, they were not eating that way. They had went through and figured out Leviticus 11. All of these things were happening. They're not sacrificing food to other idols. They understood that Yeshua and Yahweh is the only Elohim. This is what they understood. <clears throat> but what was happening? Peter was having a great time. And then all of a sudden, the big boys from Jerusalem show up. What did Peter do? He withdrew himself, and he wasn't sitting at their table no more. Why? Because the big boys from Jerusalem was under the same house of Shammai, and they had that same thought. And so what he did was, is he pulled himself away like, and he separated. And that's why Paul got on his hiney. Paul pulled him outside in front of everybody and said, let me tell you something, this is not right. You know this is not right. And this is why you went to Cornelius to start with. Because the, the father had to get you to where you had to get rid of your stinking thinking and you had to understand that don't call anybody that I've made unclean. Not anybody that I've made unclean. That's right, that I've made clean and don't you call them unclean. So all I'm saying is, is this, guys, he took 12 guys. One of them hung himself, so he had to replace him with some other disciples and apostles. But these are real people just like we are. And they had hang-ups just like we do. And they had prejudices just like we do sometimes. And he worked on them in their own salvation to get these prejudices out of their life. Because if you've got prejudices in your life, you're not going to be able to help your neighbor. You're just not. Because if your neighbor's not in your little way of, if your neighbor's not in your box, he's just a sunk duck. You know what I'm saying? He just is on his own. But the Father, if we're going to be light to the who? Did he say nations? Is all the nations like Mississippi? Do you know that even in our nation in Mississippi, do you know that mo in the United States of America, outside this state, most people don't even know Mississippi's a state? You talking about Benjamin being the least of the tribes? Mississippi is the least of the states. I'm going to tell you something. Do you think that people in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, know anything about Mississippi? They probably didn't know where you came from. That's right. They know more about Mars than they do Mississippi. I'm just telling you, go outside. Because they hear this uh, accent I have, and you know what they, they don't say, are you from Mississippi? They say, are you from Texas? Because they know where Texas is at. But I'm just saying, so putting ourselves in the frame of mind of what's happening in the Scriptures and what he's doing here is he's trying to tell everybody, we, we in the body of Messiah, we have to get along. When he's calling people and they're accepting Yeshua as their Savior, you may look different, you may have come from the depths of hell itself. But guess what? If he has saved him, he is no longer from the depths of hell. And he is setting him up upon the rock, and we have to accept what he is doing. Because guess what, guys? We didn't have pretty halos when he saved us. I didn't even have a halo. Tammy made sure I don't have one now. But anyway, no, I'm just picking. But anyway, I'm just saying, put it in context of what's going on here. Now, where in the world am I at? Verse 2. That's as far as I got. Help me, Kelly. Well, at least we're the same mind, right? 
Okay. Verse 3. This is a key. I got it circled in red. Guys, you could, if you got red, you could write all over your words. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. If we're selfish or if we're conceited, I don't need to go any further. We need to all repent. Because you can't help your neighbor if you're selfish or if you're conceited. Because you know what? You won't show pity on him. You won't go. You won't do like we were talking about earlier. You're not going to wake up from your precious sleep to call your brother. You're not going to do what it takes to battle and get down into the trenches and battle. If you're selfish or if you're conceited, guys, you can hang it up. Gals, I'm just saying, this is why he's telling us, because we're getting to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is part of it. He's telling you if you're selfish or if you're conceited, and guys, I'm just telling you, I'll, I'll start with me. I do know that there are certain areas in my life that I'm selfish. Okay, I said it. But you without sin cast the first stone. Okay? I knew I could say that because I know I wouldn't be no stone throwing. Because only probably, you know, a little infant would probably be the one that's not selfish or conceited. But you, you see what I'm saying? But sometimes we want, do we not? Sometimes we want what we want. We do that. Sometimes we want what we want. And, um... Maybe once a year we can do some selfless act, you know, or once every six months or once. But you know what? He wants us to do a selfless act every day. That's what he's after. He's after us. And so he's say, telling us, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Because the only thing you're doing is by, you're doing it is because you're going to get something out of it. Can we do something when we know we're not going to get rewarded? That's what he's saying here. In other words, you don't have any, nobody's going to give you a promotion. Nobody's going to go and, and, and do whatever. They just, he says, do nothing from that. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This is in context before we even get down to the own salvation part. Because he's trying to work something out of the people. And you know the reason why he's writing this letter? He's not writing this letter because this is a good thing to do. He's writing this letter because there were problems there. And you know the reason why this got canonized? Because there's problems everywhere. Amen? Is it not true? Because we really want what we want. And sometimes it's hard to give up our sleep, our time, a little money, a little whatever it takes. To be able to help our neighbor. What did Yahweh say? They came to Yeshua trying to trick him. What is the greatest commandment? He said love the father with all your soul, heart, mind and strength. But he didn't stop there. What else did he say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Because all of the law hinges on these two. And love not our lives until the death. Because he didn't love his life. Not until the death. He died for me and you. And he's asking us, would we be willing to do the same for our neighbor? Would we be willing? Because look, the reward is eternity. And I will tell you this. If, if I could, and I can't do it because they don't make a rope long enough. But if I could take a rope and put a little piece of tape on it and leave the rope to go as far, that little piece of tape is our life. 
And that rope, the rest of it that goes from here to the other side of the world is eternity. Eternity is a long time. And sometimes we fight to hold on to what we want in this little bitty speck of time that we're in. And I will promise you, one day, if you get old enough, you're going to be like Solomon at the end of Ecclesiastes. Everything is vanity and meaningless except following his ways. That's what he said. But sometimes when we're young and we're vibrant, we'll wait for that because we want what we want. And this is the reason these people, and we as a a people, we have this issue in our life that we do want what we want. Verse 5. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Messiah Yeshua, who though that he was the form of Elohim. Now he's going to talk about himself here. Paul is saying Yeshua even in the form of God himself, Elohim himself, did not count equality with Elohim as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a what? He took on the form of a servant. I'm going to jump here now. Let's go to Mark 10, 41. Because it says here that he took on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Now that's humbling himself. Because he was slain when? Before the foundation of the world. So he was sort of there before the earth was created. But yet, he humbled himself because Adam fell. And so he humbles himself to right the ship. He's turning around and he's doing what he can do so that we can have communication back with the Father. This is why Yeshua said, ask the Father in my name. So he's the go-between, Yeshua. All right, in verse 41 in, in Mark 10, he says this. And when they heard it, they became to be indignant at James and John. Now the question is, because we didn't read this, is why are they indignant? They're mad and ticked off because James and John is, is positioning himself and asking Yeshua, when your kingdom, can I sit on the right hand and he can sit on the left hand? And so they're, they're jockeying for who, and the other ten is saying, hold on, dude, this ain't about you. Are you so vain that you think that this song is about you? These were brothers, okay, James and John, these were brothers, and here they are, they're jockeying for position, and the rest of the ten said, hold on, we're fixing to drown you in the Sea of Galilee. Where's my, there it is, papers everywhere. And he says, verse 2, and Yeshua called them to him and he said to them, because he had to fix this, because he saw what was happening. He said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But guess what, big dogs? But it shall not be so among you, James and John. And guess what? The rest of you ten. And whoever else I call. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be the first among you must be the servant or the slave of all. In other words, if you want to be great, then you outserve and you outslave everybody else on this earth. And then we'll talk about a position in the kingdom. For even the Son of Man came, what? Not to be served, but to serve. And who are we to be like? 
We're to be like Yeshua. So if Yeshua came not to be served, but to serve, guess what our job is? We're not here to be served either, but we're here to serve. The exact same message that Paul is talking about at the congregation in Philippi. Same message that Yeshua is teaching his disciples. And he says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we see here that this is also our calling. Now we can't give our lives as a ransom. He can do that and only he can do that. But we can follow in his footsteps and be servants and stewards over his kingdom. All right, 1 Peter 4, 7 through 10. See what old Peter has to say. 1 Peter 4, 7, it says, The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled. And I could say then, don't be selfish, you know. And be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. He says, above all, above all, he's trying to tell you. When somebody says above all, it sort of is putting something out there. You need to pay attention because what I'm going to tell you, I've said a lot of stuff. But now that I'm saying above all, this means that you need to get this. Keep loving one earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without what? Grumbling. Where have we heard this word before? Like right when they came out of Egypt. The first thing that happened when they couldn't have water is they started to what? Grumble. Then he gave them water, and then they didn't have food, and they started to grumble. Then he gave them food and made them sick. And then he, <laughs> then he turned around, and then they didn't have water again, and they what? Grumbled. What is he sort of maybe trying to teach them not to do? Grumble. Because this is a walk of faith. Every time we come, and this is why that's in the Scriptures, and this is why this journey's there, and this is why we're in this season, and this is why we teach this every season. Is because, guys, until we can get to a place that when something happens to us in our life and we don't grumble, then we can move on. Amen? If we can get to a place in our life, because, see, the thing is, is when something, if somebody offers me celery, I'm good. I ain't going to eat it. You know, just thank you, bless you, I'll pray hands over you or whatever. But the thing about it is, but if it's something that I really want, and then they pass me on by, and they serve everybody apple fritters but me, and they're fresh, I'm like, what about me? What's in it for me? What about me? And until we can get, I don't even have a marker up here. And that's good, because I put the markers up because the kids are writing on the walls. But anyway, but if we could take the word me and turn that M and turn it upside down, what do you have? We. That's what he's been trying to teach us. Ever since he's brought us out of Egypt, spiritually and physically, from our salvation, he's tried to get us to quit thinking in a me mode. He's trying to get us to think in a we mode. We need to be weebies, not meebies. Okay? I don't know if that's a word or not, but get us a shirt, weebies. So, this is what he's trying to teach us. Above all, do these things. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And look what he says next. 
As each has received a gift, I want to tell everybody in this building you have a gift. Now, you may not know what your gift is, and that's okay. Let him reveal it. This is number one, don't covet somebody else's gift. This is what gets us in trouble, is when we start running in other people's lanes. Because I like that gift that he gave this one, or I like the gift that he gave that one. What happens is, is we're not sitting back and asking the Father, what do you have for me? What is my gift? Because the thing about it is, is when he gives you and he reveals you your gift, you know what will happen? You will be the best person in the world to perform in that gift. But when you're trying to perform in somebody else's gift, you're just going to get in the way. You're going to get in the way, and all you're going to cause is turmoil. But he tells us, each one of us has received a gift, but guess what we do with this gift? We get the gift to go out and do whatever we want to do. We get the gift so we can go to Disneyland and we can ride the ride. We get the gift so that I can buy whatever I want and Tammy can't. That don't quite work that way. But he says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards, as Elohim's varied grace. So guess what, guys? You can't get away from this. All through the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, the whole message is about loving the Father and loving our neighbor. And the Torah is written, and a lot of times the Torah is written in here. I don't have time to do this, but let me just say this. I'm just going to make this statement. Do you know that Reuben, Reuben, he took, he defiled his father's bed, did he not? But did Reuben defile his father's bed, which he went in? I think it was Bilhah, I think, was the one he, the one he because that was uh, Rachel's uh, handmaiden. Rachel had died. Bilhah, when Rachel died, right after that, Reuben goes in and defiles that bed. Guys, this was not a lust problem. Do you know, and this is not an honor situation either, but do you know the reason why Reuben did that? He did that because he loved his mother. And you're probably saying, what in the world is going in and defiling and taking? Is because, what, huh? That's right, I'm being G-rated. That's why it takes me a little bit when I'm having to be G-rated. But this defiling of the bed is because, guess what? Rachel's gone. He, he saw his mother suffer. She was not loved. That's what the scripture says. He says it. Yahweh said she's not loved. And what did he do to Leah? He opened her womb. Did he not say that? And she was having children after children after. And Rachel's barren. Until the place where she's arguing with her husband. He says, what am I to do? I mean, it ain't my problem. I'm having children over here. You gotta look at yourself. You know, he's trying to figure this thing out. But what happens is, is Bilhah, because of the death, guess where she would have been elevated to? To a wife. And by being elevated, he says, you know what? I'm going to fix this problem. He went in and defiled that, so it said Jacob never went to her again. So guess what? Now, Jacob has to only look at my mama. He only has to look at Leah. And it cost him his birthright. It cost him a place. So what I'm saying is, is now that wasn't a right thing to do. But here, a lot of times these boys didn't do right things. They sort of sold Joseph. So, you know, they had issues. I mean, this was a, this was a dysfunctional family. 
I mean, you see what I'm saying? So I'm just throwing us all out here. Sometimes we do goofy things because we say, you know what? I'm tired of so-and-so being stepped on. I'm going to do something. It may cost me, but he did what he thought that was necessary to make sure that Jacob would love his mama. But yet, that's not the right way to do it. Because you're now trying to step in between you and God and Yahweh and trying to change what's happening. It doesn't work that way. So I just throw this out here just to let you know that in these stories, it's no different than us. These are real people. Real people that's got dysfunctional problems in their life. But yet, is there now a reason? And this is why I told you this story. Do you know there's a reason why in the Torah now it says that a man cannot take sisters as what? Wives. Where do you think he probably got that from? <laughs> this very bad situation that happened. You know, so it was allowed to happen back then because it happened. But now you come into the place of the Torah and you see that it's not, you can't take. Because they're rivals. It's all. It's going to be a fighting. In an in so what am I saying is, is I'm saying this. The Torah knows best. Go out and think that you, and I just use that as one example. But you go out and you just try to pick something up that you want to do because you're selfish or you think I can, like uh, Solomon. He said, do not take foreign wives as your wives. He said, don't do this. Because they will lead you astray to worship their gods. Is that what he said? Well, it's wrote down in the uh, Midrash that what Solomon did was is he left out a piece and he said that you, when he had, because Solomon had to write his own Torah because kings had to write their own copy of the Torah. But he left that section out and said, and I can take wise because I know, I know what Yahweh's saying, but I'm smarter than that. I can take these foreign wives because I won't do how did that work for Solomon? Vanity. He took them, and it caused him to fall. It, it caused the whole Israel to split. It split the family. It split the boys. So I'm just saying this, that when Paul is writing this, working out our own salvation, it's about us getting rid of selfishness in our lives and being able to embrace one another as the body of Messiah and all of our great imperfections and learn to love one another because I'm telling you, when you have to get down where the rubber meets the road, you need one another. There's talents that the Father's given me, but there's a lot of talents He hadn't given me, and carpentry is one of them. You don't want me to build you a doghouse because I'm telling you, if you do, you better pray for your dog. Because he'll be in the pet infirmary. That's just what will happen. But now I can put an AC on that dude and keep him cool all day long. Amen? Where in the world am I at now? So what happens when I get into meddling? Nine. There you go. He, man, I tell you, Mark's listening. Where are the rest of y'all at? Y'all sleeping? Therefore, Elohim has highly exalted him and bestowed him in his name above every name. So he's talking about Yeshua saying every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is the Messiah. 
All right, jump to verse 12. We're going to finish out with these scriptures, and then I just want to read a quote from somebody. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is Elohim, now this is grace. Anybody want to know what grace is? This is a good definition. For it is Elohim, this is our Heavenly Father who works in you. It's not because you are that in a bag of chips. Guys, it ain't about you. It ain't about how great you are and how great you think you are. It's Yahweh working in you and producing in you the fruit that's in you. Because I'm telling you, I need the fruit that's coming from this word is what's going to make somebody whole. The fruit coming from my opinions ain't going to do nothing but muddy the situation. Okay, so he's saying, for it is Yahweh who works in you both to will. See, it's him. My will, he's working in me to will and to work for the good, for his good pleasure. That's our calling. So it's Yahweh working in us to both to will for us and to work for his good pleasure. Then it says this. Verse 14, this is why I said this, because they still had the issue. Do all things without what? Grumbling and disputing. They still had that problem 3,500 years later. And guess what? We still have that problem today. We're still a people that like to grumble when we don't get our way. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of Elohim without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Do we have a crooked and twisted generation today? If you don't think so, you need to go outside. It says, among whom shine, now this is our goal, among whom you shine as lights in this world. Now here's the thing. Can you be a light to this world grumbling and disputing? Be a bad light, that's right, a false light, a wicked lamp. But the thing about it is, is he's wanting us to be light. Think about this. When people are grumbling and fighting and bickering and all of these things is happening, what kind of testimony is that? Who wants to be around that? We need to be energy givers, not energy takers. Nobody wants to be around an energy taker. That just saps the life out of somebody. When we show up, anywhere that we show up, we ought to be able to give energy to the room. But you can't do it within your own strength. You need the gift, whatever gift that the Father gives you, you let it just come out and you be able to help somebody. Because do you know that the Father knows best? Do y'all know, like Brad Scott says, that the Father is smarter than we are? And do you know, He knows every one of you sit, He knows me, He knows every one of us, He knows everybody outside this door. He knows what we need. And guys, you just have to trust, if you do your portion and your part, He will send if you need to be ministered to, or if you need to minister to somebody, he knows who to connect you with. He's good like that. That's what the Holy Spirit is all about. He knows things that we're confined to just what we can do. We see in part, we know in part. That's all we can do is we're in an in part realm. He's not in that in part realm. He knows who to send our way to be able for us to touch their lives or for them to touch our lives. And do you know how many times that you've been able to touch somebody's life, it always touches yours too? You ever thought about that? Because we're just in awe. I cannot believe. I was just reading about this or praying about this, and this happened. How many times does that happen, like every day? You know, it's just amazing that we are to be lights in this world, holding fast to the word of life, so that the day of Messiah may be, may be yoked. 
proud that I did not run this uh, life in vain and labor in vain. What I want to do is I'm going to finish up, if I can find this quote. There's a guy named Stephen Cole. I just want to read this, sort of to sum up what we talked about here today. Now, let me just say this before I, I read this quote. A lot of times when you're reading commentary and stuff like that, they don't touch what we touched. Because a lot of times in today's Christian way of thinking, it is really individual. It's not corporate. Israel, in Hebrew, everything is corporate. Remember what we talked about in Hebrew? Everything is emphasis on verb form. Everything in English in our society in the Western world is on noun form. Because if I turn around, and we've said this before, if I showed you a little yellow stick about that long, had a number two on it, had an eraser and a little thing, what would you call that? Well, it's a pencil. But if I turn around, and if it was in Hebrew, and if we was in Israel, and if I made that same question, or if I said it like that, they would say it's something you write with. Because it's what it does, it's not what it looks like. A lot of time, the way we think is, is when we hear something, we know what it looks like, but in really the way of, of the Hebrew and the way the Bible is taught, it's what we do with it. What does it do? What is our actions with it? It's not what it looks like. So Yeshua doesn't want us to look He's more, he's more wanting us to be able to be known by what we do and how we serve one another. Because I shouldn't look like me. I should look like him. Amen. That's the thing. So when we serve, people ought to be able to know us by our fruits and give him the glory. So really and truly, they should see more of Yeshua. And if they're seeing more of me than him then I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, okay? And I'm not saying that we've all arrived in here like that. I'm just saying this is what this is written about. Okay, this little quote here from Stephen Cole, it says this. This is the main point of Paul as he appears here. It says that if we are truly saved by Yahweh's working in us, then we are to, no, hold on then we are under obligation to work out our relational differences by following Messiah's example of self-dying love. So you can see what he's saying here right off the bat. If we're believers, and we are, then it really and truly, it's our obligation. And this is what Paul was saying here. It's our obligation to work out our own salvation, to be able to jail with one another and make this thing work as a body. Just as Yeshua lay aside his rights, and just as he did not live for himself in his own pleasure, just as he put others ahead of himself, even to the point of death on the cross, so that we must learn to die daily to self and live for others for Yeshua's sake. And this is, I thought this was interesting in this quote. If you claim to be saved, but you persist in selfishness and refusing to yield your rights in demanding your own way, whether you are at home, because that's where it starts, is at home or in the congregation, your life isn't backing up what you claim. 
If the living Elohim truly is at work in our midst, we must work out our relational differences in the spirit of Messiah-like humility and love. And I really appreciated that little quote. This is what really this is about. Are we so vain that we think that this song's about us? The message here is, is I hope that that answer is no. That we're not so vain that we think that we're not selfish people. And that's what this has been really trying to teach me more and more from Passover to Shavuot is, is to get rid of my rights, get rid of my selfishness and all of this stuff and be able to prefer others higher than myself. Amen. I know y'all wrote this. We need to work out our practical implications of our salvation and our relationships with one another. That's what it means to work out our own salvation with fear and truth. Amen. Let's pray.